0: Box in the Bagel is a production of Kenjamin Media, a curated series of conversations about things that matter. For more information about our podcast, please go to KenjaminMedia.com. I don't know why I'm hungry now for chicken. I don't know what the what the correlation is there, but I just I felt like I literally just thought I smelled chicken. I know it's completely random, but and I'm, I'm in my apartment. I, I don't know where there could be chicken coming from, but I just had this waft of chicken. And by the way, I don't love chicken. You know this. I would never, in a restaurant, if you gave me 10 choices, chicken would almost always be 9 or 10. Because I just think it's boring, even though I enjoy chicken. Am I wrong? You like dark meat. I do like dark meat, actually. I don't understand white meat of, of chicken. It's dry, generally. It's not yeah. as flavorful.
1: It doesn't make a lot of sense to me.
0: My very precocious 13-year-old said that to me, and I always thought that was very amusing. And so now I intentionally always try to use three words when one will do.
1: I did not buy my wife yak yarn. It's alpaca. Uh-huh. That yak was the first thing that came to
0: me. Is that, is that like Build-A-Bear, where you like go to the alpaca farm, kill the alpaca yourself, skin no, it?
1: You don't kill. That's a beautiful thing about knitting. You don't have to kill anything. You shave it.
0: But isn't isn't the true good yarn come from the animal as it's dying? Isn't that what I no, read somewhere?
1: No, that is absolutely incorrect. Oh, you know
0: like what? I might have made that up. Never mind. Yeah. I thought I had read it, then I realized, no, I think I just made that up.
1: Yeah, I think that hat you're wearing is alpaca. It's very soft.
0: Um, It is soft. Uh, I'm going to touch it for a minute. Yeah, it's soft. It's not cashmere soft, but, it, you know, it's soft.
1: I wonder if you put side by side and you didn't know which was which.
0: Oh, I could tell you in a heartbeat because this is not cashmere. And you know what feels like cashmere? Cashmere. Exactly. Well said. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. <laughs> I um I had a cashmere sweater I bought in Scotland when I was eight. Uh it was quite beautiful. When you were eight. Yes, eight, eight years old, the age of eight. You bought it in
1: Scotland when you were eight.
0: That is correct. Both those things are true. And you're so you're taking issue, I can tell by the tone of your voice, with the idea that an eight-year-old could buy his own cashmere sweater. Like, in what world would that be true? Is that the issue you took? That seemed odd to you. Like, because you think back when you were eight, you wouldn't just take money out of your pocket.
1: You wouldn't use your money? Or did your dad just say, here, go buy yourself, go buy whatever you want? And he just gave you a hundred bucks and you went and ended up buying yourself a cashmere it, sweater
0: two things i will say about that first of all no eight-year-old has their own money that's who? who what eight-year-old has their own money
1: well I that's guess exactly maybe, my point when you said i bought a cashmere sweater when i was eight
0: but I you did. make a distinction between your money and your father's money as if that's a meaningful distinction i wasn't raised that way anyway i just want to make the point that first of all my father wasn't with me when i was in scotland so no my father didn't just hand me money and i went and bought a sweater because he wasn't there i was on a uh an excursion with my father's former business partner and his daughter's ten-year-old girls' soccer team, and I went as the uh, "quote unquote" trainer. <laughs> um, I think that was for tax purposes.
1: <laughs> and we That's wonder it. why that dude ended up in prison.
0: Yeah, it's it is it's it's a mystery. <laughs> um, but anyway, the kindest man in the world. The fact that he was a turned out to be a oh, career criminal, criminal. That guy,
1: but sweetheart. No, well, he was. He wasn't. He did not hurt you can, people. You can be a criminal and be very nice. Is no, these I mean, are not right. He wasn't
0: exclusive. He wasn't a violent criminal, he was a money criminal I'm just yeah. saying, there is, one can make a distinction Between a criminal that hurts people Physically kills them, murders them And one who steals their money Now, you can argue it's just as bad, but I'm just saying He was I'm a not non-violent criminal
1: it's bad. I think there's a continuum of goodness and badness
0: He was He was a really good man He was the coach and the, the league I think he was the executive director of the Girls Soccer League In fact, because of him, the Girls Soccer League In their neighborhood actually was able to get funded Had it not been for him, I think they would have folded um, I,
1: I, I'm guessing in fact, that he, you know, argued to himself that on the continuum of goodness and badness, claiming an eight-year-old as a coach for the team for tax purposes is is a trifle. It's a yeah. it's a criminal trifle, and so who, I think, I think it probably is.
0: Um, yeah, I think it is probably is. And uh, let me say that was a it was a lovely trip. I ended up, by the way, spending most of that trip with the moms. Of the, uh, the girls having lunches and things, because even as an eight-year-old boy, I was already you know situated in that group of women experience that I would come to have later as a stay-at-home dad and as a therapist, and most of my adult life, me and groups of women hanging out. But that, that started really as an eight-year-old, because I, I felt more connection emotionally, and this leads us into today's topic, by the way, so beautifully, I hadn't even planned on this conversation, but I felt more connection emotionally with those women than with the dads on the trip. I didn't connect with them. And today's episode of Locks in the Bagel is is about- Connecting with women. No, it's not, that's a different story. It's (sighs) It's about men and therapy and the value proposition, listen, the value proposition that men don't prioritize their emotional health. I'm gonna say it again before you say anything. Men don't prioritize their emotional health. Okay, go.
1: Oh, I have a lot. I have a, a lot to say about that. Or you know, um, yeah. That's but, why I said go, suggesting that you should now go. Well, <clears throat> so go. I mean, this this gets into a, a conversation uh, at its core. Uh, I think uh, um, about gender role socialization, and the reason that men don't prioritize their emotional health. Right. Let's let's men don't prioritize well being. I think. By by and large, and and especially emotional well being, and you know the 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 example that I always think of is how we valorize male athletes, and now female yes. female athletes as well who return to the field after being injured, right? Mm-hmm. And, so, and and this is all said with the understanding that that things are changing and changing slowly, and by and large they remain this way. Yeah, we, we valorize and hero. Worship athletes, especially male athletes, who return to the field and play injured, and we use language like ballsy, gutsy, what a man, um, mm-hmm.
0: and, and the that, phrase,
1: and the phrase that lends them to this man up, right? I'm manning up, sure, manning up. Yeah. And you know what that is? Is you know that is the absence of self care in the face of injury. The everyday man is taught that that is how men in our culture become. Uh, socialized to behave according to what our society says is their gender role, and how we end up internalizing those messages. Which, in this case, one of them is: do not prioritize your emotional or or other well being, but certainly emotional well being.
0: We learn this in preschool. Boys learn this in preschool before they ever they ever
1: see anything beyond that, right? They learn it. But they learn it in preschool from their parents, right? Especially their fathers and their teachers, right? Who are essentially just recapitulating these messages that are taught over and over and over again in society. So their fathers have an understanding of what it means to be a man. And then they teach that to their boys in preschool, as you say. And then that just gets relearned over and over again as they get older.
0: Right. It, was, it made me think so much about. <clears throat> I was thinking a lot about this idea, like men as a group. Right. Mm-hmm. Athletics is the, is the is the area that is is absolutely the area that most of this gets taught. Right. And, but it's not just professional athletics. It's you know it's in the elementary school. It's in it's in the high school athletics. All of all of those places. And then, it, but what I was really thinking about was gyms, like the the culture of going to the gym. Mm -hmm. as a man right men go to gyms men will go with their buddies to gyms men will go work out right this again prioritizing the physical aspects of our health not all men do this but a lot of men do this even men that aren't particularly in great shape still go to a gym because they feel this you know to be strong is to be masculine right and the gym is a place in society that men are sanctioned and culturally sanctioned to go to Mm -hmm. to work on their physical health. And it made me think a lot about this idea, which I think I want to start a business now, but it made me think of the idea of what if we had gyms for emotional health? What if we created that same culture around emotional health for men to go to a gym where they would get with other men in groups and talk and deal with all the issues, you know, that men deal with emotionally. But wouldn't that be interesting if we created a culture that that had the same context that men were comfortable with and the same language that men knew? Right, that felt acceptable and sanctioned. It just made me think about that.
1: I don't know. What do you think about it? I think it's a terrible business idea. I think that you will. (laughs) No one will invest in it. I I, do. I think it would be wonderful if if we could live in a culture uh, and society that supported that kind of business. Yeah, I do. I'm just thinking about what you're talking about. You know, about the gym. I I have my head is really full of a lot of stuff. You know, one of the things that we that the way men and women. This is going specifically to your point about emotional health. So. and again, I am generalizing. Not all men are yeah, like that. Yeah, we, we get that.
0: Know. We're going to get this given and not say that every time we speak now.
1: You know, men tend to to want to uh, be sort of heroic. We like to be of service um, by changing attire, uh, you know, or fixing things and stuff like that. Women, generally speaking, like to uh, nurture be in groups, offer advice, offer, offer emotional support. Okay. This is, so men, men are, are just simply not taught at an early age to pay attention to the same things that women are taught to pay attention to. You know, men are more likely if men, if a man feels is becomes sort of consciously or somehow unconsciously aware of some felt experience that is foreign and is something you know akin to what you and I might understand as a, an emotional upset? They are just as likely to think that they ate something bad for breakfast <laughs> as they are to to identify that as, oh, I'm 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 emotionally uh, uh, upset right now. Men just aren't taught to pay attention to those things, with the exception of anger, right? Because yes. anger is the only culturally authorized emotion for men in our society. Right and men men take anything that
0: feels even close to something like anger and call they call it anger. Or well,
1: yeah or they sublimate whatever feeling they have and right. turn and it into it, and use anger, in anger as the way that they express whatever that is sadness right. anxiety fear, right. fear loneliness right it comes out as anger because that's culturally authorized for men. Right and, and that, versus-
0: that 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 is problematic in relationships with women in particular.
1: Yeah. I mean, and whether that, whether that becomes, you know, what we think of as abusive or not. Either way, it's still still problematic.
0: problematic. Yeah. So this is why, by the way, so this is why therapy has so much stigma for men. This is why men have such a hard time statistically and historically with the idea of going to therapy because it's associated Mm -hmm. with this, this, language and this idea around emotional health that men are not positioned to take up or value and mm-hmm. fear, I would argue, mm-hmm. fear intensely because they're not experts in this area. Men also have been taught to be experts in everything they do and feel a sense of identity around their masculinity by knowing, by certainty, by, by being able to master things, right? And, yeah. and emotional life, vulnerable language, language around vulnerability and uncertainty, which is what emotions are often, right? We're not we're we're trying to figure them out. They're not defined like wood, you know, for lack of a better analogy. And so they can be difficult to to ascertain. They can be difficult to get at. You have to you have to work through things. And that is not a language and a process, right? That men have been position, positioned to take up. That's why therapy. Is is an obstacle and a uh, something that men don't generally willingly uh, decide to partake in, to enjoy, to engage
1: with. Mm-hmm. Often, and and in couples, it's often why the man comes at the behest of the of the woman. And uh, you know, right?
0: Stereotyping, generalizing again, but yes, this is my experience as a therapist: is that when couples generally come in, I would say this is true of 80 at least 80 percent of couples i don't know what your experience is but i would say that's true at least 80 percent of couples the woman is the one that led them to therapy and the men come the men come in much much more defensive and 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 awaiting their being attacked a feeling that they're going to be attacked Mm -hmm. that's sort of the default position men come to therapy with again which is a problem because you can't get a lot done you can't really have a lot of self-awareness when You're in defense mode,
1: you know? Yeah, that's my experience, by and large.
0: Yeah, and that's, I mean, it's fucked up, and it's frustrating that that's such a common experience, and if we sat around with a group of men, they would all say, I've been in this men's group for the last six months, something I'd never done before in my life and just sort of happened upon, and all of the men have similar, all of the men who come from different backgrounds and different experiences, uh, different socioeconomic groups, all of them have universally expressed this notion that men are uncomfortable with their emotions, don't know how to identify them again because we haven't really been taught the language that is helpful to do that, uh, and express rage and anger uh, when other things are going on. It's universal.
1: Yeah, you know, th- there's there's some overlap here also with this issue of generally just people not understanding what therapy is or what therapy can be um, and i and it's of well, course it's of course different with different practitioners um, and in different contexts but there's such there's a stigma about therapy in general in our society and then you know you, yeah, so but let me ask you a question
0: yeah. why do you think why why do you think that what are, what are the components of that stigma
1: i think that there is a prevailing and pervasive belief that if you go to therapy something's wrong with you
0: Uh right you're there's you're you're the problem or you failed in some way all the light this is another point i wanted to make that you've touched on without even being asked brilliant the language that we have as a culture around therapy is a language of failure and and it's a very negative you know self-imagey kind of language as opposed to the kind of language that, that I've always enjoyed, and you probably enjoy, is more like we talk, I like to say that everybody struggles. It's not about success or failure. Again, this artificial either or bullshit, but we all struggle with different things. We all wanna make sense of our lives. We all wanna find meaning and purpose, and we all wanna understand better. That's more of a, a language that is not judgmental, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. I,
0: I just like this idea that we all struggle. And I think everybody can identify with this with struggle. Men struggle, women struggle, people Every, struggle.
1: Everybody struggles. I just had a client. A client showed up. I was seeing a couple. Uh, our last session, she came alone, and she Uh-oh. said, "Yeah." But, and she said that you know her partner wouldn't be joining us anymore. I said, "Why not?" And she said, "She said because he said there's nothing wrong with him." Yeah. So you know that's this is this is a common thing. It's a really common thing.
0: Well, and especially in a a man-woman couple, in a heteronormative couple like that, uh, when the man takes up the position that I am not the problem, you are, and and that is is like a wall, a steel titanium wall that is not particularly relational in the language we would use. It's very individualistic. It's very separate. It's very much like I'm over here, work on your stuff and come back to me when you are better. I, I would argue that that's not a relationship. You can't be in a healthy relationship when one person holds that belief system,
1: period. I, I always say this is not about you being the problem or about your problems. Your problems are the relationship's problems. Right.
0: But that that shift, that that what you just said, is exactly the the kind of language shift that I think is necessary culturally, right? The relationship is the thing that we're here to discuss, not my issues or your issues. This individualistic bullshit that, that makes one partner tell the other one that they're the problem over and over again or that stuff we always talk about like when somebody's childhood is impacting their life which almost always happens in life by the way cuz we are products of our exp- product of our experience there's no avoiding that it's not psychological or freudian to say that your childhood impacts your adulthood i would argue that's common sense and it's obvious and unavoidable whether you like it or not it's just a product of that but when when somebody is having trouble that that clearly is rooted in their experience with their mother or their father or their role in their family and they're 40 years old and their partner says to them that's your shit not mine i'm not going i don't put that on me they're they're not seeing the relationship as the center of their experience they're seeing their individual separate unique experience outside of the relationship right and and they're missing the relationship, right? Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so give me the give me the 10-word answer on just how you fix that in one session. Go.
1: <laughs> Come on, you're the best. <laughs> oh my god. But you know what though? I don't. It it, it actually isn't that hard. On paper, to fix right. right. If you bring if you bring curiosity to your partner's experience, yeah, and you and you believe that the problems are not yours and not your partner's, but the relationships, and that you and your partner together can take some sort of a stand against the problem, against the problem, and not against one another, then you'll spend very few sessions in therapy. Right.
0: And you and I, as narratively trained therapists, um, take up that that ten word answer. It's probably more than ten words, but let's just I
1: try start. I tried so hard to make it ten words. It's I don't think I've ever it. said anything. There was less than ten words.
0: For the sake of the description and the conversation, I'm just going to call it the ten word answer. It's just okay. easy and and specific. Call the whole podcast that the ten word answer. Well, that's actually not a bad name for a podcast, the ten word answer. Um, you know what that comes from, by the way. it's a it's a West Wing episode when uh, Jed Bartlett and J- the James Brolin character are going to a debate. And the week prior to the debate, the whole staff has been trying to come up with a 10 word answer for what you says, what the what the Republican candidate should say after he says, well, we have to cut your taxes and, to, and then what and what do you do? And so it's this whole thing about the 10 word answer. And then during the debate, James Rowland says something stupid. And Martin Sheen says, there it is. The 10 word answer. My staff. been. I just love that 10 word answer. Anyway, now I've lost track. What are we talking about? Men and, and sex men and what? What are you talking about? You said what's what's how do you fix that in one session? Right. Men prioritizing their emotional health. Yeah. I mean, you're right on paper, but, but that's, well, that you didn't ask me how, how,
1: how you fix men not no, prioritizing no, their emotional health in one session. I, now, let me just get back to
0: this though. That, that, that idea though, of shifting the focus of people's experience from their individual differences to the relationship. That's a shift from a lying from I'm against you because we're two individuals and I'm right and you're wrong always, or you're right and I'm wrong. That's this again, this binary bullshit, versus the relationship is having a problem. No matter where it comes from, it's the relationship's problem. That is a dramatic shift. I, you know, most therapists don't even talk about it that way. That's <laughs> part of the problem, you and I probably would agree. Part of the problem is the language culturally still doesn't support this idea of the relationship as its own entity that you and I are part of. And when you take the blame off the uh, your partner or the attack off your partner and put it the problem in the relationships bucket, for lack of a better way to say that, then you and your partner become allies mm-hmm. to, against the problem that's coming at the relationship. You are now reshifted. You're shifted from against each other to against the problem. This is sort of the core idea of of relational therapy in, in the narrative world. Uh, and I, I think it's brilliant when you can get people to take up that relational shift, yes. then they can see it. And, and you're right. It's not that hard. But getting people to go from where what they've been taught and what everybody they know supports and what every movie, TV and book they read supports, yeah. watch and read. That's the challenge
1: yeah it's a very very different way of thinking about problems and uh, about relationship and <clears throat> it does take a lot of practice right intentional ongoing right. And, con- and conscious practice
0: right and the thing with a lot of change with especially change that feels you know so different to people is people are, i mean people used to say this to me i'm sure people said it to you well you know that it just feels weird. It feels like artificial, the language I'm using now when I'm talking about it and like, yeah, okay. That's no, that's normal, right? Anytime you try and make a big change in the way you see something and talk about it, it's going to feel artificial for a little bit until you get into the habit of doing it. That's why it takes work. And that's why one of the other precepts, by the way, of, you know, of, of a relationship, getting off the masculine piece for me, but relationship is that it's supposed to be easy, which I don't know where people got this idea that the single most important thing in their life should just be a cakewalk. And if it doesn't just feel right all the time, then they should, you know, then it's not right. Like there's a whole problem around our conception, our romantic, the Disney stuff, the fairy tale, ram-com stuff about relationship as an idea,
1: mm-hmm, right? Exactly.
0: Like everything else that we, we find meaningful in our lives, whether it's meaningful work or, or or anything, children, it all requires effort and and continued effort over time to learn and to grow. And most people accept that when it comes to a job or when it comes to other things, but somehow around romantic love, because I would argue of the movies and the books and the TV and all of that, Mm -hmm. given this false idea that it's just supposed to be easy and it's supposed to be natural.
1: Yeah. We all, we, we, many of us, uh, uh, labor under that myth. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, this comes up in every couple with, with every couple I've ever worked with um, you know n- nobody who's not a pilot would walk into the p- cockpit of a 747 right mid-flight and just say hey what do you say I land this thing it just feels like something I should be able to do
0: uh-huh That's
1: Right. right but, right but 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 we think that human that relationship is something we just ought to be able to do I'm a human she's a human what or he for whatever the 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 Couple is why this I should just be able to do it. And if it's not easy, then then something's wrong, as you say. But you know, it's about a thousand times harder than landing a 747.
0: Right. And just by the way, but here's the other piece though. Just because something is hard or a relationship is challenging and hard and requires work doesn't mean it's bad. Correct. Things I mean, people who are successful, by the way, at you know, at to go back to athletics, like men who I was listening to Tiger Woods talk the other day about, you know, he went through this, for those of you that don't know golf or Tiger Woods, he went through like a five-year period where he had four surgeries and his body didn't work and he couldn't hit the ball for a while and sometimes he couldn't walk. Um, And then he found his way back and and it, the, the thing was, he just worked at it. He just kept working at it, even when it was painful, even when it looked like it wasn't going to work out. He didn't think he would walk again, let alone play golf again professionally, let alone play with his kids. He talks about, you know, playing soccer with his kids. He couldn't even stand up but this idea that that and 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 the work was hard but the but it was worth it because he valued what he was working toward right and anybody in a relationship who's in love with somebody who says they're in love with somebody seems to me the value of of figuring stuff out that's making the relationship not work that well is important enough to work at. It seems to me that that shouldn't be the kind of work that says like, oh, this, I don't want to do this. It's too hard. Well, maybe.
1: I mean, it depends on what the values are and if what you value and your partner values are the same thing and if there's still things about the relationship that you value. Having it be, you know, recognizing and and accepting that it's supposed to be hard um, is different than, you know, saying – it you know, doesn't doesn't mean that there is no such thing as a deal breaker there might oh, be Oh no, no of
0: course not you know, there no, might but I'm be saying a real like
1: thing it's just like yeah this is there's this, this is a thing that I, is just a deal breaker for me.
0: Right. But even but I'm saying even in good relationships, really good relationships, there's still hard work that needs to go on. There's still difficult times over long periods of relationship. There's yeah. still struggles. If, even in a good relationship, this is what is missed. This is what yeah. is missed in that romantic idea that it's always just supposed to be easy. And if it's not right. easy, there's something wrong. And just to take this back to the, the issue of men, right? Men's roles and responsibilities, men's emotional health, the hard part for men often, more often than not, is Mm -hmm. in the emotional exchange, is in the emotional experience of sharing that with somebody else, sharing yourself when you've been taught to hide yourself, which I think is one of the reasons men can't prioritize their emotional health, is because part of what we've been taught as men is to hide our emotional life because it's not acceptable to be emotional, period. Like, that's the core of it. So when men start to feel these emotions that they don't know what to do with, they can't name, they can't share. It makes them feel weak, which is, you know, one of the core no-nos of being a man, right? You don't, you're not allowed to feel weak, weak Uh, as a bad thing, as opposed to just, I don't know what to do. Reaching out for help is, would be a good, good thing.
1: Yeah. In our, in our society, masculinity and weakness are, uh, Mutually exclusive. I mean, they're they're just they're not compatible. Right. right. So that
0: that shift is really important for men to be able to prioritize their emotional health. Now, how
1: does that happen? Right. Sorry. Can I can I just can we? Because I'm not sure. Maybe I I missed a beat here, but I'm not sure where. I think men think of it as weak, but I, I want to be clear. You know, I don't think of that as weak. You know, this idea of
0: no—that's vul- the whole
1: point. Vulnerability is. I think perceived as weakness. I think vulnerability is is an act of hope.
0: Well, I also think vulnerability is an act of reality. You know, maybe it's hope, but it's also an act of reality. There there is there are very few human beings I've ever met in my life that don't experience v- moments of vulnerability in in their self identity and their experience in relationship and their experience in their jobs and their experience everywhere. It's it's a it's a human experience that's universal vulnerability. We have just been taught as men that it's not an acceptable part of human experience. So we 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 push it down or whatever language you want to use, hide it, push it away, pretend like it's not there. And that's just a prescription for really bad stuff to happen. That's the clinical term. Really bad stuff.
1: Yeah, I don't, know I don't think it's no, why I think you, it's good. You get, that's
0: whole, you get so technical in these. I know. Conversations. I got to try and speak in more human language, but we digress. But so that leads us speaking of, uh, you know, talk a little bit about uh, your experience of, of shame. Cause I think shame is one of these things that men also That's universally
1: It's so weird that you said that just now. Is can it? I go, can I go straight to my, to the big question? Sure. My big question was about shame. Isn't that weird?
0: Well, maybe, except around this topic, it's, it's not weird for two men who became therapists to, to equate shame and men and emotional health. I don't think that's weird at all. I think that's pretty, but before pretty obvious. I knew
1: before I knew, before you sent me your you know oh, about your, what the topic 15, was, 15 minutes before the show, here's what we're going to talk about, email. I'd like to prep you. <laughs> I was thinking about what, what, what I wanted to ask you, and it was a, it was a, it was a shame question. That's so weird.
0: Thank you. That's that's really the easiest question to answer is a shame question. That makes me that already I'm already feeling a level high level of anxiety now.
1: I think my blood pressure just went up 6 Are or you, 700 points. You call it the big question. You don't call it milk and cookies. I do like milk and cookies though. I understand, but that's not what you decided to call this segment of the show. You decided to call it the big question.
0: Yeah, the big question like is chocolate better than ice
1: chocolate. cream? A chocolate chip or oatmeal raisin? <laughs> okay, that's a big question. So what what's the shame question? What is something that you have done in your past that you remain ashamed of to this day?
0: You know, that's interesting. We uh, we had this conversation. I think I brought this up in my men's group a couple months ago. And it, it's a pretty intense question to ask people. Well, there are a few things and I'm not sure what I actually want to speak about here. Because this is not an easy topic to have. I mean, it's not an easy thing to admit. Some of the things that I
1: feel shame around. Do you want to give you a a, 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 a moment? Um. And, yeah. And here, here I have a question. Some levity with you? Should I give you a moment of levity to just yeah. take some of the? So I was talking to my friend Anna, the Anna, the other day. And is Anna, she
0: a, wait, wait,
1: is she a Russian princess? She's not a princess, but she she was born in Russia, and. There you go. Uh, And Anna was listening to the podcast and she said how much she really enjoyed it. And she said, I'm really looking forward to meeting Kenny, but I think it's going to be really awkward because it's going to be like, hi, nice to meet you. Are you still estranged from your mother? I'm sorry to hear that.
0: (laughs) I I don't feel any shame around that. I feel sadness around that, but I feel no shame around that. I think my mother should feel shame around that, by the way, but who knows? I don't know. That's not true. She She probably shouldn't feel shame. She probably feels just sadness too. But anyway, that's a different topic. So let me yeah. ask you this this question. Here's the big question for you.
1: Oh, so, what okay. do you oh, are we going to come back to my big question?
0: Yeah. Let me ask okay. you my big question. All what right. do you feel shame about in your past? <laughs> Isn't that the question I just asked you? Oh, did, did you just ask me that? I blocked out the last 10 minutes in my brain. <laughs> Is that what you just asked me? We're great minds think alike. You know,
1: when we were in <laughs> high school. No, seriously, is that was that actually the question that you were going to ask me? Yes. For real, you—that is the question you came in, to, you came in with. Yeah, because ask. yeah, because this is a ta-
0: I wrote it down right. You uh, you uh, you can't see my notes because we're fifteen hundred miles apart. But I wrote it down: fear and shame, right here. And the, and because around this issue of prioritizing emotional health, to me.
1: The, you didn't the, say anything the, about shame in your email. You just said, um, you just no, talked about. I just about gave you the topic.
0: Therapy. I didn't give you the list of all the things we're going to talk I about. Understand, I understand. How
1: weird you... is that? That we both had a big question about shame. Are you yeah, saying we wait. had exactly the same question?
0: Can you stop talking for a minute and let me answer it? <laughs> but you, you keep interrupting every time I start to talk. Cause you're oh, so excited. excited about this. Yes. Can I go now? Can yes. I go? Yes. Can I go? Yes. Um. As I said, the, the the value proposition of this episode, men don't prioritize their emotional health. If you're not, if you're not talking about shame at some point in that, then you're not getting to the core because so much around men's experience and this notion, again, what I just articulated about hiding ourselves, so much of that is around issues of shame we feel for these ideas we make, the feelings we hold. We we feel we 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 connect shame with that because we don't know how to process that. Shame is a huge part. I think shame is a huge part of adult male experience that's unspoken and dangerous. Yeah. And I think
1: fairly, I think you can say shame is a huge part of the human experience.
0: Yeah. But we're talking about men here. And I would argue that this particular kind of shame is unique to male gender socialization uh, different than women's experience or Transgender experience or uh, well, there's probably shame there, too. But but we're talking specifically about men's experience
1: in the culture. So, well, are you asking your your question? What what am I ashamed of that specifically has to do with my masculinity and maleness and gender identification or just what in my life do I remain ashamed of?
0: Well, I would argue that, that 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 distinction is a distinction without a difference. Everything relates to your maleness, okay, and the well, way you've I, been taught as a man. And the, the, separating right. that out is separating out your experience from your experience.
1: Okay, that I'll tell you what I've been ashamed of. of. This is a very easy, this is a very easy one. Fuck me, fuck you for
0: well, fuck you for having such an easy one. Like it's so easy because your everything is so good and you have no regret. <laughs> fuck you. That's not true.
1: I was, you, saying, fuck you, fuck you. I was just saying. Fuck you. You didn't say regret. You said shame. I have more regret than I. ever... Never thought I would have. It. You don't think a- regret and shame are linked? I didn't say they weren't linked. I just said that I've, just I make a distinction between shame and regret. Sometimes yeah. they're, they, th- I have shame and regret about the same things, but not always. I'm just um, saying they're they're related. They're cousins. They, first they are cousin. they are related. I've i vandalized property when I was a kid, Um and I what well, you you're shaking your head and rolling your eyes and. T- <laughs> And sighing, like, you know, like this, uh, oh, this is, you know, this is nothing. Get, you know, get real. This is a thing I remain ashamed of. I I am so ashamed. I'm so ashamed that I did this. I don't even want to tell. I am so ashamed of it that I cannot tell you what I did because I'm so ashamed uh, of of what I did. But I vandalized a property and I I was with a friend and I, I vandalized some property and I'm, I'm, it was so horrible what I did. and I. I'm sure we caused thousands and thousands of dollars of damage. And that is not the kind of person I was raised to be. I'm I remain to this day ashamed that I ever did it. It was a house that I thought was abandoned that I could get to by like climbing on my it was not far from my house. Right. And I could get go into the back of my house and climb on the roof and I could see and it looked abandoned, or it looked like they were maybe they were just on vacation. And it was just horrible, horrible, horrible what, what I what I did with, with this friend. I don't know. I, I was a very mischievous kid. Um, I did other things that were just dangerous and stupid and mischievous and, you know, but that I don't have shame about. Whatever, trespassing and 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 throwing things at cars that were moving at high <laughs> speed and I could have caused accidents, but I don't feel shame about it. This particular thing was so um uh bereft of conscience at that moment i, I don't mm-hmm. know what i was thinking i was old enough you were to know how better. Old? i mean i was at least 12 I, it it's just shameful to me and i i'm if i could write a letter to those people and apologize i would i don't know who yeah. they were but but I I, I I to this day i feel shame about that
0: no my my experience around shame is more to do with my experiences with people there there are two things that um and, and both of my sh- most shameful experiences happened in my 20s, so I was much older and much more aware of what I was doing. Um, but because of, uh, because of the experiences I had prior to my 20s in the sense of identity or lack of sense of identity I had, there were situations that I would get into that I just, this is exactly what we're talking about on topic, I just couldn't handle emotionally and didn't know what to do emotionally. And so I just didn't do anything um, and hurt people intensely. I had a date. I think I was. I want to say I was 23 on a date with this woman who I'd met that day. I was very attracted to her. And then, as that time approached, I got an, I got invited to do something else that I really had wanted to do and didn't think I could do, and was very like proud and felt this thing and 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 just felt too embarrassed. To call this woman, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, right? It sounds like, well, what's the big deal? You just call her and tell her you reschedule or whatever. But I, I was in a place emotionally, and this is part of because of all that stuff we talked about. Whether I was raised and always being by myself and never really having any guidance or about anything and having to figure everything out on my own and feeling overwhelmed all the time as a kid and not safe all the time. And so instead of simply call this woman and tell her, like, hey, I can't, I can't make the plans I made tonight because I was so excited when we met and I was, I came on very strong and she was seemed. To respond in kind, um, I just couldn't handle it. Like I just, it seems simple, right? And right now, it seems obviously simple. But the but the level of like disappointment I, I I feared was so overwhelming for me, and I couldn't tolerate that disappointment of that kind at that age at all. So I literally just ignored it and acted like it didn't exist, and and never called that woman and never spoke to her again. Never called her again. Um, And that was like, you know, 30 years ago. And I still feel badly about that. I feel a just incredible sense of, you know, how horrible that was. And, And, you know, this is the problem with moments like that is I know this from my own experience is it's like no big deal, right? If you're if you're well adjusted and you're human and you have a lot of friends and you have a good foundation, you can say, oh, that guy was a jerk or whatever. No big deal. But sometimes moments like that affect people and stay with them forever because you don't know about what's happening in their emotional life. Mm-hmm. so like that woman could have been going through a really hard time or felt really insecure about who she was i mean i didn't know her at all i met her and just it was very attracted to her we had like a you know a connection in the days before masks and pandemics where you could meet somebody and talk to them and feel attracted to them but because like, you could see their face and maybe that affected her in a really horrible way i mean, not saying that. me personally I, I didn't have the power but maybe the experience of that affected her in a way that made her you know mm-hmm. behave differently so that that for me, carries a lot of shame because I don't know what I did. And also because I feel, I mean, here's the thing. I feel shame for a lot of experiences I had that were rooted in my, I don't want to sound too psychological, but rooted in, in my this, you know, very isolated, lonely, terrifying childhood that stayed with me into adulthood. And I feel a lot of shame, but part of me also feels like, I, you know, like, like if I could talk to that little boy or that 22 year old boy, you know, and, and be more nurturing and more understanding of his experience you know maybe i could impact that his experience going forward so i feel shame but i also feel like i shouldn't feel shame but it doesn't it doesn't impact my feeling it you know what i mean
1: i do know what you mean um and i know what you mean about uh, uh, you know what effect might that have had on that person or you know what effect does anything that we do have on on other people right. you know i'm always saying that we're we're all sparks to a waiting fuse you don't Right. You were you were a spark to a waiting fuse that you then did not light, right? So to speak. I, I I'm choosing to believe that it was just another disappointment, another man who disappointed this woman, and that Hopefully. she and that she went on to you know just blow it off as nothing. But I've certainly met people you know who have said you know they they have the last bad dating experience that they choose to have and just say that that's it. I'm not doing this yeah. anymore hopefully while. she was young and i, so I hope did, that wasn't had been you, through you weren't that you're the thing that you did wasn't that experience for this person i hope that that's
0: yeah you know. i mean again she was we were hopefully she was young enough that she hadn't experienced so many bad times and maybe i was the first asshole who did that and hopefully she go over it and the other hand maybe she killed herself the next day because that's it had, had been her experience for the previous five years and this was the last straw so again like who knows and that's why you know the, the uncertain, the not knowing how those things played out and not being able to fix mistakes that you made in the past that could have had serious repercussions, but not knowing that's, that just lives with you, you know, in some places, uh, more difficultly than in other places. And at different times in my life, I feel those experiences and those memories more acutely than at other times.
1: So I have a question and you can just edit this out. That story is very familiar to me, and I feel like you told it to me on another episode. Did you not end up including that story in the other episode? Uh,
0: I, I, I don't think... Uh, here's the thing. Uh, you were there when I asked this woman out. When was it? I that? don't know if... It, it was at a... I, I'm pretty sure it was... Is your Uncle... St- your little Uncle Stanley is dead, right?
1: Yeah, completely.
0: I liked him. Um, there was a dinner... This This is what I remember of it. There was a dinner... At some restaurant on Santa Monica in West L.A., somewhere like west of Barrington or Bundy uh, on the south side of the street. It's funny what we remember, right? It's like his friend's daughter or something. Yeah, this was your Uncle Stanley's friend's daughter. I do remember I, I met at a table. She was so and cute. I, she, was, she was darling. I mean, I still remember her face and her hair. I don't remember her name. Brunette, right. Dark hair, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, she was beautiful. Oh, so beautiful. I remember yeah. that.
0: And we had this lovely moment and then something happened a couple hours later and I got taken away to something else. And I just, again, I couldn't handle it. it seems so stupid, um, but I just couldn't handle it and I just never dealt with it. And yeah, so you were there and that's why maybe you remember it because it's in your DNA somewhere. <laughs> I thought you
1: told me this story uh, in one of our recording sessions, so. But it's possible. But, but, but I mean, it's possible, and you didn't include it actually in the final edit, so it
0: doesn't. It's matter? possible. I may have just blocked it out for thirty years, but it's possible. But yeah. So, but that's so, right
1: your question. I mean, you just said it was a very broad question, so I mean, there are other things that I'm ashamed of that are interpersonal. That's that interestingly is enough comes up for me more often than you would think. That particular episode, you know, I mean, there are things that I've done, women that I've dated, or where I feel like. I, oh, the that Nazi story, as I recall, is kind of i a, I'm a not ashamed, but I have no shame about the Nazi story. Oh no, of course. Let's just not say anything more about
0: that. So anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about just has to. If I have if, that I, had, if, if I had
1: if I had slept with her, I might then, ha- I might feel some shame around that.
0: And and your ancestors oh, might the, feel some yeah, shame. Right.
1: Oh, that time I slept with a Holocaust denier. I but I didn't, so I do not have shame. I think I, I was
0: just starting to listen to that podcast recently. The time I slept with that Holocaust, denier. With Holocaust
1: denier. It's not very popular in anywhere but a, Stuttgart. Uh, that was a popular good in one. Stuttgart. You know? Do you know? Um, I I texted. Uh, oh, I was with my friend Anna again and her husband Patricio, the Russian princess. She's not a princess. And, I want to think of her as a princess, okay. like from
0: Anastasia.
1: Okay, the, the Russian princess, okay, and. Thank you. We were talking about bad dates, and I texted our friend Adam, and I said, "Adam, what are the two worst dates I've ever had?" <laughs> he wrote back, "One of them was like the Nazi. And the other one, like everybody knows, that's like what, what was the other one?
0: one?
1: Um, just shorthand.
0: The shorthand short for the other one. What he, was the
1: just, he said that you know the you know, like the woman who's like you left her your watch at her house. You know whatever. <laughs> but okay. the thing. it was a too long story, but that was a All bad right, date."
0: yeah let's go back just to, uh, r- wrapping up wise to this i had this idea like
1: would be think about- podcasts, though just just bad dates just bad that dates. is a
0: podcast it is a bad it is a podcast yeah there are many podcasts actually there's but one with the these two day. women i can't i can't remember the name of it there's one with these two women i can't remember the name of it but it's uh it's very funny and that's all they talk about um yeah it's a great podcast actually um if you have if you have funny people doing that podcast a great podcast if you know if uh if uh i want to say if rick santorum and uh and mitch mcconnell did that podcast it would probably be the most boring fucking thing
1: in the world right or if every podcast was just about and i was left in a pool of my own tears
0: yeah or semen or blood either pick your pick your poison but yes that would be bad but i want i wanted to talk about one one last thing in the idea of men and their emotional health you've done a lot of group work with men a lot of with sexual uh, sexual abuse survivors and other things but but you've done group work with men who weren't just, it's not just in the sexual abuse community, right? Like, or no, your work with men is all, all been of, all of my work
1: abuse. with men is is adult. Oh, that's uh, interesting.
0: Survivors of childhood sexual abuse, right? Because that's a that's a very specific kind of thing. I, I mean, it's not just outside of masculinity, but it's a very specific, you know, group within
1: that. Yeah, um, I mean, mas- masculinity plays a huge, huge part. I, I was just or, thinking about that, this, or, I, or the effects on on what we call masculinity, right? Um I was just thinking about this idea you know this this
0: idea of like emotional gyms, but what if we started in preschool where where we we, we sat boys and had like emotional circles like little conversations about emotions with the boys now i don 't know about separating them out from the girls but but I think there is something i mean in a culture where you still teach boys and girls to be different people, you might have to separate them out right like if you didn't if you taught them all the same thing and if they took all the up the same things, you could maybe keep them together, but the fact that there still is this identity around being a man that is distinct and different from that of being a girl or 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 a non-binary person i think there still needs to be work with boys outside of any other gender issue identity what do you think i you love think
1: that uh, i love that idea i i do think you would come up against some resistance like well why not just make it boys and girls and just make boys comfortable with the idea of you know paying attention to um, felt experience and their emotions.
0: Yeah, but you can't separate out the, the teaching that's already been internalized about what it means to be a boy versus a girl. That's the problem with that. I mean, I get that too. I think both things should be true.
1: Well, but I, I think you could argue as well, like, well, that particular muscle is underdeveloped right. in boys the way that right. our physical muscles are not overdeveloped, but you know, we are generally speaking, just physically stronger than girls. Oh, so And that muscle, so the separate, physical muscle
0: is paid more attention to. The we more than more. The
1: other. You know, so we, we tend to say like, okay, the girls are playing this team sport with the girls. So the boys don't have an unfair advantage. Do you know, I think it's, I think you could make an argument that really girls would have an unfair advantage in that, yeah. in that kind I mean, of again, group setting
0: Right. And that's because of the way the culture is. Like we want to live in the real
1: world and the real world still has this because of the way the culture is. And at such a time when that is not the case. Yeah. Anyway, I I love the idea of just boys' circles where we're just talking about feelings. Right. So that way boys would learn from a
0: young age the value of their emotional life as equal, at least equal then to their physical life and the other experiences they have. And And until we do that, until we place that value on the emotional health of young boys, adult male men, adult male men, that's a funny way of saying that. I like it though, but it's funny. Uh, Adult male men just sounds funny to me. Uh, The AMMs. Until the AMMs, have, mm-hmm. have a different childhood experience, nothing's going to change dramatically. They're, we're just going to change around the margins. I mean, I, w- we could both agree probably, and it's anecdotal, and it's probably in certain communities specific to certain communities of privilege, I think, as well, you know, around therapy and around men having a different kind of emotional experience. But until whatever community a boy grows up in, whatever ethnicity, whatever different community, until that community decides to place a value on, on boys' emotional life, uh we're not going to have a cultural shift. We teach a lot of really stupid shit in schools, I think, and a lot of narrow stuff that's not really broad and thoughtful. I think we could take an hour every day to have a circle of boys being facilitated around the language of emotional experience about around identifying their emotional their emotional experience, identifying it, making putting language to it. And talking about it in a way that normalizes it and makes them feel like, yeah, this is just a part of life. It's not better or worse than other parts of my experience.
1: I think it's a great idea. I also think that you could argue, one could argue that which one? One. Anyone? No, okay. Go one ahead. could argue that this is a value that all cultures and all peoples ought to take up, and that there are there are cultures. Um, you know, who don't particularly value that and who
0: don't particularly value what
1: you don't without
0: val- having emotional life. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, okay, fine. But I don't know that even in those cultures that everybody would agree that this is healthy. Maybe they do. Maybe the women and the men both think that's healthy. That's not been my experience. And people that come from those machismo cultures, and you talk to women in those cultures who have been subjugated and abused and not treated as equals, my experience is even in those cultures, they don't think that's healthy. They just think that's the way it is. They don't value it. They just don't know that it can be. They don't think it can be any different because that's the way it's always been. I would say those are two different things. So I don't, I don't know that that's a problem. But I'm talking about it as a solution, at least in the culture which you and I find ourselves. Um, if we started having boys in groups around emotional health around being able to identify name and talk with comfort and and acceptance around their emotions and their inner lives, I think we'd have a different adult experience and I think that's necessary for us as a culture to become healthier I, I don't see a well, path I, I agree with you I'm not, I'm not
1: I'm not say, I didn't say that because I disagree i I agree with you hundred percent. I'm just wondering I, if you're put up against.
0: Well, I can't deal with every culture in the world that wants to hold on to their machismo. Although, again, I would I would probably argue that I don't think that's actually true. What you're saying, maybe it is, and maybe I'm wrong. But I, I my experience of of being in machismo like cultures is not that people love that and think that's the best way to do it. It's just that's what they've always done. But there there are consequences that show up in that those cultures around abuse and power differentials that affect people negatively and profoundly like they do here yeah that's all i'm saying i just think that that that's where we have to start because you can try and start with adults and we do men's groups and all this stuff but as you said before to my first point of this episode when i talked about having emotional gyms and i know this from having hosted men's groups not for like for just generalized men's groups it's very hard to get men to show up to those things. And there are these groups of men's groups around the country. But if you look at the numbers relative to the population, I mean, it's infinitesimal. So like a group like the, I can't even remember this. Uh, the, there's, I can't remember the name of it anyway. There's this group that a guy I know here uh, goes to and they have they have chapters all over the country. But the But the total number of people in their groups all over the country, you know, doesn't even amount to 1% of the population. So there are some men that are curious. But as a culture, we don't value, we haven't said, this is part of the problem of why we have a lot of the problems in our culture is because we don't teach boys to be whole people. We don't allow them to have a whole range of emotional experiences that allows them to have, that allow them to have outlets to their rage and frustration outside of the outlet of rage and frustration, which often lead to very bad things for yeah. men and women. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. I don't know why I'm hungry now for chicken. I don't know what the what the correlation is there, but I just I felt like I literally just thought I smelled chicken. I know it's completely random. But and I'm I'm in my apartment. I I don't know where there could be chicken coming from, but I just had this waft of chicken. And by the way, I don't love chicken. You know this. I would never in a restaurant, if you gave me ten choices, chicken would almost always be nine or ten. Because I just think it's boring, even though I enjoy chicken. Am I wrong? You like dark meat. I do like dark meat, actually. I don't understand white meat of of chicken it's dry generally it's not yeah. as flavorful
1: it doesn't make a lot of sense to me let's 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 get into the uh what makes you insane what makes you insane what's making you insane this week shame
0: <laughs> i feel so much shame i can barely be no what makes what made me insane this week is the is the lack of compassion and humanity from and this is a common theme for the last couple months for me but the lack of basic human decency from some of our leaders, the kind of language that people talk, the the disconnect between the experience of regular working people, just regular Americans. I'm going to say regular, meaning just regular, you know, working class Americans who are not wealthy and privileged and who don't, you know, who worry about basic things and the disconnect between that and the people that have the power to impact their lives. The fact that Mitch McConnell didn't negotiate a COVID relief package since March and waited until the last minute to negotiate something. And then the president, the megalomaniacal, egomaniacal, petty frat boy president we have um, just decided to hold on to it for a couple days because he just felt bad about his election, but didn't give one shit about the millions of people who are about to lose food and unemployment insurance and get evicted from their apartments. And the fact that he waited a couple days just because of his petulance and his pettiness and his privilege, that's the three Ps of assholeness, that just infuriates me. So that made me crazy this week. What made you crazy? Did something make you crazy? Because something always makes you crazy. Comfortability.
1: Affordability? Comfortability. Comfortability? Comfortability. What is that? Thank you. It's not a word. It is not a word. Who, who used that word? I hear it all the time. Spell, spell. Comfort, how would that be either, spelled? I don't know how to spell it. C O M F O R T A B I L I T Y. Comfortability. comfortability. Yeah. So
0: what? What is the proper word
1: when one comfort? Is using? Comfort. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but comfortability sounds like a like a more. It's got more letters, so it feels safer and more nurturing. I think that's why people use it. Like. I was going to say it's like irregardless, but that's now in Merriam-Webster, so I don't know what to make of the world. Makes me insane. That's a funny sounding word. It's a word that sounds like it should be a word, but it also sounds like it's not a word. It's one of those words that sounds both like yeah, it, it sounds is a like it's not a word.
1: Yeah, that's. I think this is why people use it. I, I mean, I you know, but anyway, I'm sure that's, that's exactly why people. That's use why. It. That's why it, it, it. That's what's making me insane this week. Hmm. Yeah.
0: I just uh, shout out again to your wife Jennifer for making me my uh, my holiday hat. I see you're I wearing the hat. hat. It's, a, it's really lovely. I love a Hanukkah hat. Yeah. I don't care. It's a very comfortable hat. It's not cashmere. It's alpaca. It is.
1: <laughs> it's alpaca. <laughs> that's right. Um, no disrespect to yaks. They just don't have soft hair. Have Have you ever met an alpaca farmer? Yeah. Sure. Haven't you? Okay.
0: Well, that's enough said. I think the less said about that, the better. That's what I was thinking. But anyway. I digress. Uh we've come to the end of this uh this episode of the podcast known as locks in the bagel. Uh Joshua, as always, it's lovely chatting with you. Lovely to chat with you, as always.
1: I, I mean that every time I say it.
0: Do you? You're not just making that up for uh for publicity's sake? No, I'm not. Your publicist didn't tell you to say that? I'm not. Mike are, Mamakos, no, your Greek are we,
1: publicist. Are we still big in India, by the way?
0: Huge in India, the Locks and the Bagel has got its largest following in India, and, and a shout out to all my Indian friends. Um, we're we're coming to do live uh, live podcast in India in 2022. We're very excited about it. Sponsored by Cantor's Deli of Los Angeles, the the home of Locks and the Bagel when it's on the road. Is Cantor still open? I don't even know. I'm using doing a promo for a deli. <laughs> Does it still exist?
1: I hope so. I'd be so sad. Let me just say
0: that uh, Joshua and I both spent a lot of time as children and teenagers at Cantor's Deli in Los Angeles. It's a wonderful place. Uh, Forgetting even the food, because I don't really remember any of the food I ate there. I'm sure I had lox and bagel many times, because it's my favorite thing. But just the vibe. Cantor's is one of those places where there's a feeling, there's a sense of history and culture and... It's a, it's a beautiful place, so if it's still open and you're allowed to go there, because I don't think you're eating indoors in L.A. now, I'm not sure, no, but uh, they probably get takeout. They have a lovely bakery. I hope it's still working. There are all kinds of little danishes and chocolate chippy rugelach things. Locks and the Bagel is a production of Kenjamin Media, a curated series of conversations about things that matter. For more information about our podcast, please go to kenjaminmedia.com.